Hello and welcome everyone to Why It Matters. This is our very first recording for 2021. We are kicking off this year, I think, with some of the most exciting and interesting folks that we've ever had the opportunity to, inter to interview. And we're doing so today with Laura Tovar. And I'll let Laura introduce herself. Um, but in the way that we try to be self-aware on why it matters, um, I am going to say that today is Friday, January 8th. I think it would be an understatement to say that our country has been through a lot since the events of Wednesday, January 6th. And that is in part going to frame our conversation today because we need a better America. And honestly, we need more voices at our table. And we hope this year as part of Now It Matters commitment to equity in this world, that in some small way we can help surface those conversations with our Why It Matters recordings. And yes, I'm going to choke up a little bit. And if you've been following me for a while, you'll know that I cry at the drop of a hat. So uh, I don't know, Tim, if there's anything you want to add to that before I turn it over to Laura to I think I want Laura to introduce yourself and tell your story as you told it to me, because that will form a very compelling start to our conversation today. I don't have anything to add. Welcome, Laura. Thanks for joining us. I say go for it, Laura. Introduce yourself and tell me what you told me in December when we were prepping for this. Awesome. Thank you so much. I gave a little bit of leeway to make sure the interpreter finished for y'all. And now Leon is ready to go for me. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me on Why It Matters. I'm excited to be here, um, excited to be invited and a part of the conversation. So my name is Laura Tovar. Um, I'm from Dallas, Texas. Um, I am a American Sign Language interpreter by trade. Uh, I've worked in that industry for about 10 years. Then about three years ago, I joined an organization in Dallas called Deaf Action Center. Um, and this organization is unique in that from its board to its ED, to its program people, to people who work the front desk are deaf and hard of hearing. So when you come into Deaf Action Center, you are greeted in American Sign Language. It's one of the only places in the area where you can come in the front door and immediately uh, be welcomed in your first language if you are an ASL user. Um, so it's a unique place, it's a special place, um, and that's why I have uh, two sign language interpreters on our video recording today to make sure that I can share this message with my team, um, with the community in Dallas, and then really worldwide. Anybody who knows American Sign Language can view it. So excited to be here. Um, I became a sign language interpreter uh, basically because I've, I've been around deaf people my whole life um, and I knew I wanted to serve, um, but I didn't know in what category I could. Um, and then it just became apparent, use, lean on the privilege I have as a hearing person to set a definition 
Uh, everybody on the video call today is a hearing person, which means we use our ears to phonetically take in language. Um, we use our uh, mouths to speak that language and we live in an auditory world. If it's a little bit too quiet for too long, we get nervous. Uh, so we're hearing people. Um, and as working as an interpreter in Dallas, in the South has been an interesting experience and Deaf Action Center um, is really special to me because they saw my value as an interpreter. There are not many interpreters of color. There are not many black interpreters. Um, it's a very white woman led field. So for them to take notice of me and see that I had potential and to pull me in, grow my potential. Um, and now I'm incredibly useful to the organization. I think I can brag and say that currently working as a development director. Um, so in charge of fundraising at uh, DAC. Um, it's been a great journey and I'm so excited to uh, serve the deaf and hard of hearing community and uh, be a part. So that's a little bit about me. And, and how did you go through that switch from being an interpreter to development director? So <laughs> I say um, development or fundraising let me love people again. Because being a sign language interpreter and seeing firsthand um, the autism, the oppression that deaf people have to go through, the communication barriers, um, and to just be the facilitator for language. He said that, and you said this, this is what it means. And not really having any more ability to affect the situation because people have autonomy and I'm just here to make sure messages are conveyed, to being in development and, and loving people again, seeing people that want to uh, change the status quo and then giving us funds to indeed do that. It's been a joy for me <laughs> to, to be able to switch from everybody's terrible and everything scary and bad to, okay, we can do something here and I can help find the funds and get the funds to make things happen. So, so I've enjoyed that. Thank you. Sorry, did you say the word autism? I did, autism. So given a moment for the interpreters. So that is, it's basically oppression against deaf people. Um, it's about, it basically is all about the ear and sound. And if you don't hear, if you don't uh, use your voice to speak, you are lesser than, uh, you are not as deserving. And autism is a part of uh, society. You know, it starts from birth when hearing parents are told that their deaf baby failed the hearing test. The baby's a day old, how can they fail anything? You know, how, how can we even reframe that narrative from the beginning? Yeah. So it starts there. Um, and then it, it goes on throughout the life of a deaf person in deaf culture. So autism is something Deaf Action Center actively works against and something as a hearing person, I have to actively uh, fight against. And that's A-U-D. I thought you meant O-D-D-ism as in like other, but you're talking about aud yep. auditory. Odd like auditory, okay. A-U-D. Um, yep. right. Okay, interesting. Hadn't, hadn't heard that word before. I just want to say thank you because Laura, your I know we talked about this in the prep for this recording and 
my mind exploded when you told me that story, largely because of the fact that there were so many overlaps with my own journey that I felt mm -hmm. like, honestly, like a complete ignoramus that I had not seen these connections before. And, and the two that I'll really call out that really rang in my heart, it's like, as someone who very openly lives their lives at, 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 at the fringe of the gender spectrum, that message of failure of child is also conveyed to parents of intersex children at the time of evaluation at birth. Your child has failed to meet the standards of sex as pre-proscribed in our society. And, and, and also, you know, the story of restoration of faith in humanity, um, that has been part of my journey as well in the tech industry. And, you know, I can only relate it, as I said to you when we were prepping, uh, to my mother's own work with, uh, it's called CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates for Children, who you know, also her job is to advocate for the child regardless of what's going on. And, you know, some of the stories she's told me about what she's witnessed, just having to be a bystander, uh, really connected to that journey. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Happy, happy to share. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things we talked about uh, at the start of this was, all of this right now is happening in the context of a failed coup by white supremacists in the United States to take over our country's democratic process and also clearly exclaim white supremacy as the heart of America. And that failure is still playing itself out in real time. Um, but Laura, I want to, because you, you've mentioned this as being a woman of color, one of the very few who are sign language interpreters and working in the worlds that you do. I think your perspective on how this is going to play out for not only the constituents of Deaf Action Center, but also the larger debate around what our inclusive society should look like you know, in genders, I would love to hear. Well, <laughs> heavy, deep, yeah. lots of stuff. Um, when I, just experiencing this week, one thing that really stood out to me was watching, I'm a big, I'm a Twitter head, um, watching videos, um, clips, people that were there, people who have commentary. Um, and I'm taking in all this information. And I, it immediately makes me think of my colleagues and those who are deaf and use sign language. And there's no captions on these videos. There's no interpretation of these videos. And then how they are processing this information. And then how we come together as a group to talk about what's going on and me talking about what I've heard and relaying that. And so when it comes to the deaf community, just like the community at large, there's all different types of beliefs and perspectives. 
as a sign language interpreter, my role is to be neutral, right? I'm just there to say what was said. Sometimes I culturally mediate that, which means um, I add things or delete things to make it clear for the other culture to understand. And I'm sorry, I use my hands. I try to put them down. Um, but I immediately turned to Facebook. Uh, when we go back to the beginning of COVID, when we go back to May, June, the Black Lives Matter protests and social media and the internet being so critical to show what was going on, a call was made for sign language interpreters to step up and step out and to not only go to rallies and interpret pro bono, but to take time in their day to just interpret what was being said in the media. A video goes viral, how do deaf people have access to it? An interpreter has to be willing, take time out of their day, their resources, and interpret it, and they, and they should. So then it comes to beliefs and perspective because a lot of interpreters were stepping out for Black Lives Matter protests, but when it came to the other side and there and getting those messages interpreted and across, there wasn't a lot of outreach. There weren't a lot of interpreters willing to step up and, and do that. Um, and it, it became kind of ugly because now it's interpreters hearing people once again, having power and privilege and saying, well, that's, that information is wrong and it's not right and it's ugly and it's bad. And so I'm not gonna interpret that. And it just caused more of a riff between hearing people and deaf people and working in the deaf community. And I, I feel like I'm straying. I'm hoping I'm I'm hitting. You um, are not straying at all. You're <laughs> I hope I'm hitting on what's going on. And so then, um, then Facebook Facebook groups and social media groups were were right wing and and now interpreters that maybe aligned with that way of thinking or interpreting those messages, but then interpreters who didn't align with that way of thinking are willing to interpret it because information needs to be disseminated to all, but then are those interpreters being blackballed because they went over here to interpret? And it, it just kind of ripped the door open um, on what was always known, the power that hearing people have in every whatever the hearing person is in every community, <laughs> whoever has the privilege and power um, and the say, who holds the cards in different groups. And so this was this, what happened this week was just another example of that and how that information, how what's happening is going to be disseminated to the deaf community and what it's going to do within the deaf community. So. That's kind of Does that mean that part of what happens for you personally when you see the events that happened this week is that there's already multiple layers to what happens with that. Um, and then there's another added layer, which is like it is actually important to get messaging out that is accurate to the words being said, whether the interpreter agrees or does not agree with that. And the foreshadowing that you know about that not going to happen in a way that is helpful, does that just add another layer to all of the other emotions happening for you? What's that layer like? 
it's an added boulder of stress. Um, you know, it makes me think back to 2016 where there were lots of calls to interpret Trump rallies, Republican rallies. And I, and when I would get the message to, to the call to interpret, the ask to interpret, and I would think this is dangerous for me. I, I can't, I, if I were to go and be the black interpreter standing next to this person, making those proclamations, how does that, like, is that even a safe building for me to walk into? What does that do to my reputation? How does that, layers, layers. And then I, I message back the person who asked me to go and they're like, oh, sorry, yeah, I wasn't thinking I'll move on to the next person. It's just, they're just in the, the game of trying to fill the assignment. And I'm thinking about, whoa, this is, this is like scary and real. Or it could be nothing and I'm making too much of a big deal out of it. it there's just lots to think about. That's why. Yeah, I think the extra, uh, I'm glad you used the word boulder instead of layer. Like <laughs> I, I caught the word choice on that because it's easy and you'll notice, you'll notice this with me as a white guy all the time. I'm gonna go to definitions of things because I that's the world I live in. I don't experience it firsthand and so I'm gonna be working at that definition layer a lot more. And I, I mean, I maybe you won't notice, I notice it in myself because I don't personally relate uh, as, because I'm not a person of color. I, you know, I'm like, I'm like in the, in the center of the power structure, white guy, cis male, you know, hearing, didn't even know that I had that one and another piece of, of privilege there. And so, um, yeah, and I don't feel like, I don't feel uncomfortable with my privilege that that is I'm past that but what I am finding is that it's helpful to find those new ones and what I notice is that I just don't have like yeah I could be that person that's calling and move on to the next one and not realize that I've just crashed someone's next you know 45 minutes of their of their soul because they are now wondering all of those things and the last tagline on it is always like am I making a big deal out of this and I can at least be maybe I want to at least say I don't think you I think that is the deal that's being made and that that is extra stress it's a boulder and um and I and I recognize that and feel bad about that uh, I'm sorry for all that extra work that falls to you um I am <laughs> I no Tracy go ahead oh I I was just gonna say I am replaying the hours of footage of videos from Charlottesville. And I'm also replaying the hours of footage of video from this past Wednesday in my head with no sound. Yep. And I have to say, Wednesday was one of the most terrifying days of my life. This, I'm a poli-sci researcher by trade. And I tell people all the time now, I don't think folks realize how close to the brink our country really came on Wednesday. And I don't know if without understanding the audio behind that and only seeing the images, if I would be even more afraid or not appropriately afraid enough. Mm. 
I have never had to think about that in my life. And I just want to say thank you. So what's interesting about what happened on the 6th was there was a conversation regarding sign language that took place when the mayor of DC was talking about next steps, what's going to happen now, she had a sign language interpreter with her. Um, I, I, I don't remember his name, he's a black man. I think he's been interpreting in DC for a long time. And when I first saw it on Twitter, it had 18,000 likes. By the end of the day, 80,000 likes. And so I started looking through the retweets and what people were saying. Um, they were lusting after him. He's a conventionally attractive man. Um, they were entertained. They were so happy to have a dance break. Is he throwing up gang signs? And, that, and at these critical moments, when there's an interpreter on the screen or on the stage, that's always how the conversation turns in terms of sign language and the deaf community. And what people don't realize is when they make interpreters or interpretations into entertainment, fetishize, it trickles down. It trickles down to when a deaf person calls their doctor's office and says, I need an interpreter, that they're like, no, we can write notes back and forth because that interpreting thing, that's for show. That's like a cute thing that happens for like entertainment and it costs too much. It trickles down. It trickles down. It makes American Sign Language look um, like it's not a real language, like it's not something to be valued. It trivializes it. Um, as perfunctory it as Klingon. It hurts the deaf community. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a great example. And it's just something to be made fun of and teased. And I was like, this could have been a great moment to, to talk about making information accessible, making what's happening right now accessible. And instead it just becomes fun and games. And it's so serious. It's so serious. To that point, with the advance of technology being able to transcribe and you know throw out instant writing words on most conversations. So, I enter this conversation thinking that's got to be good for the deaf community. Are is part of what you're saying is well, there's another side to that. Sure, it's good, but you know what's the cost on that? I guess my question should be what is the cost? Because I think the benefit can be obvious, but what is the hidden cost on that that the hearing community may not realize is there in in this advancement in AI tech? Tell me if I'm hitting your point when you say the word cost. So captioning is an option, right? But for many deaf people, their American Sign Language is their first language. So for me, I would assume for many of us here, English is our first language. If you throw up captions in Spanish, I have, I have some knowledge, I can get by, but for me to read and follow these quick captions that might be missing grammar, nuance, tone. In Spanish, I'm really not gonna be capturing, embodying everything that's happening. Um, 
technology, especially with the pandemic and everybody working from home, you know, Zoom is just a part of our everyday conversation now. And Zoom has added um, automated captions. We've been testing them out at Deaf Action Center. Um, they're getting there, it will improve, but even Zoom is audio based. You know, I'm lit up right now because I'm talking. Your attention comes to me. Um, Zoom, it's autofocus. Is it gonna be on my hands that are moving right now? Is it gonna be on my face? It doesn't know where to capture or where to lean in for when we have a staff of 15 deaf people who are all signing, or if our ED goes to a meeting and she has to pin the interpreter. So she's only looking at the interpreter so she can really see all the signs, all the gestures. Now everybody else in the room, she's only pinned this one person. So she's missing the fun stuff, the pet bombs and the kid that runs in with a diaper or someone's facial expression to something that was just said that lets her know, okay, Kim is not happy with that thing. And if I give her that thing, I need to adjust it. Cause she, she's missing all that nuance because she has to pin the one interpreter. So as great as technology is, when deaf people aren't involved in the conversation of creating and being a part, then there'll always be gaps. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And you're hitting what I'm asking about cost. Great. And honestly, while you were talking, you know, two things happened. One, my dog pet bombed the recording. Uh, she just climbed up on her chair, which is behind my screen. Uh, and two, you know, I was thinking a lot about how that question that Tim asks get, gets broadened because as a development director, you are dealing with major platform technologies, Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Google Sheets, whatever. What, what does the tech world need to know about that point regarding making accessible technology for your role in these huge giant platforms available. Uh, because I think, you know, all that fun stuff that you talked about that happens to us all now with Zoom is true. And if you cannot focus your attention on body language, if you cannot focus your attention on all that fun stuff, you're missing out. So what promotes more inclusion? Do you, do you have perspective on that? And, and how does that relate to your job even? I will say uh, as one of a few hearing people in my organization, I feel immense guilt that I have access to take in all the trainings. We use Salesforce um, and I still struggle. If anybody's going to watch all the videos, listen to all the videos, attend all the workshops without having to book an interpreter or go through the rigmarole of convincing the entity that they should pay for the interpreter, it's me who can just log on. <laughs> 
and listen. And I'm like, how do I do this report again? Oh my God. I, I should be the one at least to know. At, at our office, we have Sean who is, uh, he's deaf, tech. He is a tech guy. He's the tech, he is it. Um, and he's amazing at his ability to work through Salesforce. We initially went through a camp and I think that's kind of what set the tone. Um, I forget the camp that they went through, but him, Sean and my ED, and they pulled in sign language interpreters and having that accessibility at the forefront gave Sean the foundation he needed. And now he just, he does it all on his own. He's digging through manuals, digging through trailheads, getting down to the nitty gritty. Um, and he just has the brain for it, but it's extra effort on his part to make that information accessible for him. Um, you know, there's even some parts of Salesforce that we as a team make videos for. This is how you do this stuff. Sure, you could read this whole thing and it's like, even for me to read it in my first language English, it's a, li it's, it's a little bit over my head because I'm just not a tech person. So we take that information and we translate it or interpret it into sign language videos so that our program staff is like, okay, this is how I make a contact. This is how I make a case. And it's fair and it's equal because I read it in my first language. So here it is in your first language. How can I expect you to just learn a tech program that really is in your third language because you've got sign language, yep. English, and then tech world language. So we try to make it equitable at Deaf Action Center by always putting that information into American Sign Language, but then that's the extra burden and cost on us as a, as a small staff of 15 that's trying to support 5,000 deaf people in the community, but willing to do it. Is there, um, have you found any, I'm just wondering, I've never thought this before and I, you know, like I know a lot about the Salesforce world, obviously. I don't think in, 11 years of doing this, I've ever asked the question, what accessibility functions exist in Salesforce around, uh, around being deaf? Uh, are there any? I mean, nobody's given us a PDF outlining those, <laughs> but it's, um, I don't know. Well, I think one of the questions I'm asking, and sorry, I will slow down. One of the questions I'm asking is what's even possible? Like what, what, what would a world where a visual first language exists? So there's language translation for help text and what would, what would, you know, Tracy, what am I trying to get at here? Is that like- You're, a, you're asking- Like I'm stuck in, the, in yep. the workshop part of this, but is there an accessibility language that's help text that is that is sign language? Like, um, is that, I think that's the question. You're you're asking, in my opinion, Tim. You're asking this huge context of, you know, if you look at something like generative leadership, right? It's about removing blindness. I would hope, and because I know to be true that there's a lot of listeners of these recordings from both Salesforce and Microsoft, that this is perking up some ears. 
by making this blindness less blind to this need. Um, so that's part of what you're picking at, Tim. I personally know enough about the sign language world itself to know that American Sign Language is one of. Uh, and how that got on my radar screen was from my time in Russia when I stumbled upon a conference of deaf Russians who were just using Russian sign language. And it was unbelievably educational because I'd never considered there was more than one language of sign language. So, you know, that huge context of multilingual sign and visual based languages is something nobody's addressed. And therefore- my question, has anybody addressed that? I, I like don't maybe, think maybe so. Maybe Laura knows of, of a yeah. platform that has. I don't. Yeah. Okay. I, they, but there might be. I don't. You know, this this conversation makes me think of a conversation I had with uh, my colleague, Eric Patterson. He He's a deaf interpreter. He heads our interpreting department. And this was a couple of years ago. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the trends. Um, I'm seeing the Alexas. I'm seeing this shift. We had everything, you know, once texting, um, which texting came in part because mobile company started working with Gallaudet University, uh, which is a deaf attended school in Washington, DC, that that technology really came to the forefront. But as it, there's a shift coming to making things more audio based, and he's like, I'm watching it and I'm worried. We had someone attend one of our ASL classes and he worked for a car manufacturing company and the light bulbs went off. He came to me afterward, he said, I'm worried because what we're designing right now for our upcoming cars, it's all sound-based. There's no, there's no mechanism to operate the vehicle any other way right now, but you're making me, coming to Deaf Action Center is making me think. So whether it comes down to how we, what database we use and how we're using it, to how you open up the door to your house, to how you're double parking your car, if, if deaf people, if sign language, if that community is not a part of the conversation, it's really scary. Um, yeah, so we talk about implicit bias in technology a lot. And um, I'm always trying to uncover where are, where does implicit bias live? And this is just a, like a massive area of implicit bias, you know, um, yeah. that, that actually like, if it's not the first language, which I'm embarrassed to admit, I know, but keep learning. And uh, that that ASL is not just English in science, is a separate first language. Um, and if that's the case, then platforms are built to be multilingual. And this is a language that I don't think, I mean, I know it's been considered. It would It would be a challenge to make this um, you know, a language that is uh, accessible to deaf users, but not impossible. And not so impossible. I think that's an, exactly, not yeah. And I think that would be interesting. So um. I, I think this is the moment where I get on my high horse 
Um, and I'll say why. Uh, because the the sort of aha moment that I'm having here is, you know, I perceive and cynically will say that a lot of software companies pay lip service to equality in our world. And how I know that's true is because most of the time, the people focused on that role are either in a marketing department reporting chain or cordoned off in their own sort of very special little world in the corporate reporting hierarchy and don't actually get their input directly to CEOs. Those are the trends that I see. There's and either I, marketing or ERG groups. Yeah. Oh, don't get me started on ERGs. That's another topic to. for another day. I kind of think that'd be fun. Okay. The words privatization of activism and removal of community agency are all I'm going to say about that right now. Um, nevertheless, what I will say is doing this right at least from the initial starting point of training and enablement requires the expenditures of dollars on real human beings in multiply linguistic contexts. And that's money the tech industry needs to think about spending. And that's me on my high horse because we pay lip service to how great we are for thinking about something other than the white heteronormative context. And yet we are surprised when we learn that that thinking isn't broad enough because it's being done by the same people who are saying we should be thinking about it more. So that's my challenge to big tech. Great. Yeah. You want to do trailhead? You want to do training videos? You want to do class-based trainings? Now you need to think about multilinguistic, visual-based learning uh, directly associated with the audio track to every single one of those. Go spend that money and then talk about equity. Sorry, I'm getting off my high horse. No, now. it's interesting. And one of the first things we talked about or that you said, Tracy, is that we need more voices at the table. And I think the hidden piece on that is that some voices are silent, like literally some voices are visual and that that creates a complexity that I don't think technology is ready to address. And I think technology is the best vehicle to address it. So it, it's, um, it's an interesting blind spot that Laura, you live in every day. Um, so we're having this aha moment that you're like, oh yeah, that was, that was so, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for catching up guys, but yeah, totally, yeah, and I just, I just realized the time, um, and, and so, yeah. uh, want to, want to be respectful of everybody's time. Um, I do want to throw a shout out to my cousin Courtney, one of my favorite people. I'm so excited, Courtney, that you can, um, listen in on an episode of uh, Why It Matters. So, yeah. I've said my piece, so I feel like the final word should go to Laura. Me and too. are there any unspoken thoughts or anything that you want to put out there as a real challenge 
in what are otherwise challenging times. Oh man, let me posture myself, the wrap up. Um, first, thank you guys so much. And thanks to Jordan and Leona um, for being on the call and, and willing and able to uh, interpret this, this discussion today. Uh, I think major takeaways are um, American Sign Language is a real language. The deaf community and culture is complex. Uh, the deaf community, uh, has paid into society. It, we, they are a part um, and the deaf community knows exactly what they need and they know exactly what they want and they know how to make things happen. So listen, listen beyond your ears and things can be fixed. Thank you, Laura. And happy yeah, new you. year to our listeners. Hopefully this sets the tone for more recordings to come. And thank you. Thanks. I'm Tim Lockie. I'm Tracy Kronzak. And you've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters is a thought leadership project of Now It Matters, a strategic services firm offering advising and guiding to nonprofit and social impact organizations. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, check out our playlists, and visit us at nowitmatters.com to learn more about us.